pray together as we get ready to hear from the scriptures. Lord God, we give thanks for your loving kindness. Um, If you were a cruel God, you could have watched us wander away from you and then made us figure out how to get back to you. If you were a cruel God, you could have given us infinitely complex puzzles to solve to know you. You're not. You have spoken to us. You spoke languages that real people could understand. And so when the majority of your people were speakers of Hebrew, you spoke through prophets and poets who wrote down their words in Hebrew so that more people could understand. And in the days of Christ, when Greek was the language spoken by most people in the area where Jesus would live and die and rise again, you spoke in a language that people could understand. And then Jesus said to go and take good news about him and preach it in every nation with the implication that these words would be translated into every language. And so today we bow before you to to receive this act of loving kindness, that today we are not groping in the dark, but you have spoken truth to us. You have revealed truth in the story of a woman named Naomi and and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And we will get to learn from you today, through them, but from you. And we will hear these words read in a language that for many of us was our native tongue. For others of us, it may be our second or third or fourth language, but it's a language we know and can understand because you are a God of loving kindness. We give thanks to you for this joy and privilege. Amen. So happy Mother's Day. Um, I hope it's a happy day for you. Um, It's a relationship, one of many relationships, but a core relationship that shows the nature of deep commitment. We experienced that in our house this week as um, our son Patrick was about a thousand miles away from home visiting friends in St. Louis, and he became violently ill and wound up at an emergency room and um, getting on an airplane for him to fly back home the next day was not an option. And so what do you do when it's Mother's Day week except be a mom and jump in the car and drive a thousand miles to get your son and drive a thousand miles back the next day because there's this kind of commitment to another person that's just, it's that strong. Uh, yesterday, we were meeting with some friends who aren't having a happy Mother's Day today. It's the first Mother's Day for them, um, missing his mom, her mother-in-law. It's faithful, committed relationship. But there are things in this broken world that can fracture those deep, committed, faithful relationships. And so every one of us has to ask at some point, is there a kind of commitment like that? 
that's so strong, that's so faithful, that, that nothing could fracture it, even death. The Bible gives that kind of relationship a special name. It's called a covenant. If you don't know that word, if it's not a word that's familiar to you, well, stay tuned for the next half hour or so because we're going to learn about it. A covenant is a relationship of life and love. It's so solemn, it's so deep and so committed that the person initiating the relationship says, may death and distance, the opposite of life and love, fall on me if I ever break this commitment to you. The book of Ruth paints a really vivid picture of this kind of covenant relationship. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture of what covenant commitment looks like. So we're going to hear that in just a moment, and we're going to hear it while asking a question, because this is the question that the readers of this book of Ruth are meant to be asking. What does faithful covenant love under God the Redeemer look like? We're about to hear. Sonia's going to read it for us. Sonia? Good morning. Our sermon scripture reader reading is taken from Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 to 18. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, 
if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like your brother? Yeah, those are some of the most frustrating words to hear, perhaps, in all of human language, right? Um, When a parent asks you that question, why can't you, you know, you'd be such a great person if you're just a little bit more like your sibling. Um, Those are really frustrating words. It's strange, though, as frustrating as it could be to hear something like that, That's the way we often read the book of Ruth. Why can't you be more like your sister, Ruth? Why can't you be more like your brother, Boaz? We'll get to him in coming weeks. It's how we often read stories in the Bible. It's this very moralistic approach. It says everything would be better if you would just be like someone else that you're not. Now, it... It, it comes with lots of flavors. We'll look at those in a moment. Our, our goal today is, is not to read the Scriptures in a moralistic way that frustrates you, but to ask the question, what does faithful covenant love under God the Redeemer look like? But, but first, we do have to set aside this common way of misunderstanding the story of Ruth. So let's look a bit at those uh, sort of four varieties of of moralism. The first is guilt. Ruth was awesome. Why can't you be more like her? What's wrong with you? Here's an awesome person. You're not doing enough to be like this awesome person. Can you just be more like them? That's one variety. Another variety is pride. Ruth was awesome. You're a whole lot like her, so you must be awesome too. You're better than everybody else because here's this heroic figure, this person who really understands faithfulness and love and makes this great commitment to her mother-in-law, and and, uh, you're a lot like that, so you must be better than everyone else too. The the be-like reading can feed guilt, but it can also feed pride on a good day. It can feed pride. On a bad day, it can feed despair. Ruth was awesome. And if more of us don't start acting like her soon, this church is doomed. She was amazing. But I just don't see much of her character in us. And I'm really afraid for where our relationships are headed if we don't start shaping up. It's the same argument, right? Be like. Why can't you be more like? But this time it's wearing, it's wearing the clothing of despair. It's hopeless. And the final flavor of moralism is uh, ease. Ruth was awesome. Good news. Anybody can do it. Here's three simple steps to be a Ruth for the Naomi in your life. What do all four of those have in common? God is missing from the story in each one. That's the common root of all of these ways 
of experiencing life or reading the scriptures in this, in this very moralistic way. It takes different flavors depending on what kind of day you're having <laughs> or depending on how someone wants to motivate you to change. But they have this common root. God is absent. He's not really part of the story. Pick your flavor and add your performance and you will get everything that is needed. If you prefer guilt, add some guilt, enough guilt to make you do better, and you'll get where you need. You're like, no, I'm not a guilt person. I hate guilt. I'm, I'm more inclined to the pride. Well, t- take pride. I'm better than everybody else. Go out and show it, and you'll have everything you need. Tell everybody the disaster that's coming. Make them despair so that they will suck it up and do better. Take that flavor, despair, add, we get better, we do better, we'll get everything we need. God doesn't have to, he doesn't have to come into this story at all. Give me some easy steps, I'll follow him. I don't need him. God is absent from the stories. But in the stories we find in the scriptures, it's not like that at all. These stories are intended to shape us. And the characters in the story are intended to model for us things that would be good for us to embrace, but not in this simple, be-like kind of way. Because in the Scripture stories, human beings don't have everything that is needed. If we had all we needed, the Bible would be real short. It would be about two or three chapters long. But the very fact that the story continues, it says we don't have everything that we need. God has to enter into this broken world because we need him. And so in these stories, God is always present. He is always present, committing himself in faithful, undying covenant love to redeem those who need him. And in the stories of Scripture, faithful human living isn't a response to guilt or pride or despair or ease. It's a response to God the Redeemer. Faithful human living is a reflection of Him. It's not our way of making the story work out right without Him. In the Scriptures, God is always present. And when we get it right at all, well, we prayed it earlier didn't we? I circled it and underlined it because I got to come back to this later this week. Apart from your grace, there is no health in us. If there is health, it will be because we're responding to the grace of God, the Redeemer. So how do we learn what faithful covenant love looks like according to the book of Ruth? Well, Well, we follow the contours of the story. We see that it starts out in the days when the judges are ruling. There's a famine in the land. There's chaos. There's no king. Everybody's doing what is right in his own eyes. And we get to the end of the book and we find that God in his kindness has raised up a redeemer king named David. So Ruth is kind of like a bridge between this loveless self-centered way of living in the era of the judges and life under the Redeemer King. What should that life start to look like? We see that as we see the redeeming covenant love of God enter into the story. We will learn 
what faithful covenant love looks like, should look like in our lives, what it looked like in Ruth's life by learning what God the Redeemer is like. So what's he like according to these early verses of this beautiful story? Well, first, he's a God who promises to be all that we need. Look at the contrast between verse 15 and verse 16. Verse 15 says this, Naomi says to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. A Chinese artist named Hei Chi has painted this depiction of the story. This is about a 20-year-old Artwork. I guess it turns, turns 20 this year. And uh, he's a Christian artist. He uses traditional uh, Chinese folk art as the basis for his imagery. And so this is a painting of Ruth and Naomi. And, and back in the background, wandering off to the right, is Orpah. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods And here's Naomi saying to Ruth, return after her. She's doing the smart thing. She's doing the right thing. I have nothing to offer you. No man is going to want to marry me because I can't bear children. And and in, in in the culture she lives in, that was one of the great benefits of marriage. I can't strengthen his ties to a dynasty or to land. And I'm not going to be able to provide husbands for you, your Moabite women. If you go back with me to the city of Bethlehem where I'm from, you're, you're going to be treated as foreigners and, and maybe as pagans and atheists who believe in the gods of Moab. Ruth, do the smart thing. Go with your sister-in-law. She has gone back to her people. She won't be mistreated. Back in Bethlehem, she has gone back to her gods. But Ruth said, no, don't tell me to leave you. Don't tell me to return. I love you. You're my mother-in-law. I respect you, but I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do the opposite of what you're telling me to. Wherever you go, I'm going there too. Where you lodge, where you set up a permanent place of living, I will live there too. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And it's interesting the way the artist here has depicted, it's hard to tell where Ruth begins and ends. It's hard to tell where she and Naomi are two separate people. That's part of the beauty of the story, isn't it? I am clinging to you so tightly And in the process, I am saying to you that I trust that the God you worship will be all the God I will ever need. I do not need to go back to Moab with its gods, plural. She has gone back to her gods. And Ruth says, your God will be my God. God is the God who promises to be all that we ever need. That's why we can turn away from every other God and give him an exclusive kind of commitment and love that says, I I won't ever leave you. I won't ever need to. 
when it comes to relationship with God, you don't need a side hustle, right? Side hustle is that extra way of earning a little bit more money. And um, you don't need an extra way of finding a little bit more love from another God when you know this God. Why? Because he promises to be everything that we will ever need. Ruth is recognizing that in this moment when she says, I don't want to go back to my gods. I don't love them anymore. They won't receive any more of my devotion ever again. Your God will be my God. I'm going to give myself completely to him, even if it costs me something. And in the moment, for all Ruth knows, it's going to cost her a lot. Right? Another country I've never been to before. I'm going to be always the one who's behind the language learning curve in this new place. I'm going to be the widow from Moab. Probably not top of the list of most eligible bachelorettes in Bethlehem where tribe and clan and family mean so much. I'm the stranger. I'm the outsider. I have no idea what kind of hard life I'm signing up for. But even if it costs me, I will turn away from every other God to him. Why? What would motivate someone to do that? Well, what is God like? He is a God who draws near with life and love. The word used for that in the text is the word visit. Now, in English, visit implies, you know, dropping by for a little while. Not something formal or official. Just maybe chit-chat for a few minutes and then we're gone. That's not what we're supposed to think of when we read verse 6. Naomi arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab. Return from the country of Moab. Where? To Bethlehem, her hometown. Why? For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Why did they go to Moab in the first place? A famine. God has visited. He has drawn near. This verb visit in the scriptures, it's not that brief dropping by and then off on your way quickly, right? Oh, can't stay, just drop by for a short visit. Visit in the scriptures mean God is showing up to check on the status of the relationship with his people. He's so committed to loving us that he, he wants to know what is going on in our world and in our lives and he draws near with life and with love. He does that when need is great. His people are experiencing a famine. They are starving to the point that some of them have left and gone to other countries, including Naomi and her family. And God draws near when our need is that intense. You hear this same language in Luke's gospel more than any other book of the New Testament. He loves this verb, visit uses it more than any other New Testament writer. 
And so when you read Luke's gospel and, and Zechariah is rejoicing that John the Baptist is going to be born, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He promised he was going to do this and he has done it. And the next time you read this language in Luke's gospel, it's describing what Jesus did for another widow, this time not Naomi, a widow whose name we don't learn. But she lives in a town called Nain, and her only son is being carried out of the city. He's just died. And this woman is alone. And Jesus has compassion on her, and he raises her son from the dead. And everyone says, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. God draws near. When the famine is so great, we're starving. God draws near. When widows are on the edge of survival, God draws near. And the person of Christ to turn back death itself, God draws near when we are in great need. And he draws near when our faith is weak. Verse 6 says that um, Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. It sounds like she has faith in what God is doing in her world. But you read other things she says, and it sounds like her faith is pretty weak and fragile. Right? She says in verse 13... The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. If you read later in the chapter, she says, you know, don't call me Naomi. That, that's a word that means pleasant. It's, it's like a, a, a woman in the English-speaking world named Joy saying, don't call me Joy. <laughs> that's not my real name anymore. Call me Mara. It's a word that means bitter because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. What is it? Is, is, did the writer of the story just not fact check? And they said in one verse, you know, here's a woman who thinks God is actively visiting his people and showing them kindness because he loves them. And, and in other verses, you know, like Naomi thinks God is out to get, get us. No, it's not that at all. It's just this very real thing that happens to every person at some point where you believe God is good to everyone except you. I don't doubt his goodness. I don't doubt his faithfulness. I don't doubt that he loves people to the bitter end. I don't doubt that he will follow through on his promises. I just doubt that he will follow through with me. Very easy for me to imagine Naomi in that place of despair. Of saying, well, yeah, of course God is visiting his people. That's what he's like for everybody else except me. It's just not that way with me. What we see in this story is God in the person of Ruth drawing near to Naomi in this moment when her faith is incredibly weak. Where she can't trust that God is ever going to be good to her again. There is nothing left for me but bitterness and sorrow. I left this land full and I returned empty. And God is out to get me. And Ruth Ruth draws near as an expression of God's love, drawing near 
not only when our need is great, but when our faith is weak. Interestingly, this story assumes that God is also good to people who aren't his people. Listen to the way that Naomi speaks about God's kindness and covenant faithfulness. In verse 8, she says, To Ruth and to Orpah. Orpah, who still worships the gods of Moab, and Ruth, who as far as Naomi knows at this point in the story, still worships those gods. Ruth hasn't yet declared her faith in God at this stage. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord show, Steve's word, chesed to you. As you have done with the dead, my two deceased sons who were your husbands, my deceased husband who is your father-in-law, you showed great chesed, loving kindness, loving faithfulness to them while they were alive. And you have shown that to me. May the Lord Show his kindness to you. Isn't this interesting? Here is someone who knows that God is the source of loving kindness and yet believes that God can show that loving kindness even to people who don't yet know him or worship him. And that he could use them to show that kindness to others. You have shown loving loving faithfulness to me and to my family. Thank you. May the Lord do the same for you. This is called common grace among Christian theologians. This concept that God can show mercy to and through people who don't yet know him. Here's one of my favorite pictures of the book of Ruth. This is a picture of that moment when Ruth is embracing Naomi and clinging to her and saying, I won't ever leave. It's a beautiful depiction of faithful covenant love. The Hebrew text on the page is the speech that Ruth gives. Don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. This is part of a Hebrew book or scroll that was created in this century. Um, And the the artist is a woman named Barbara Wolf. Uh, Another person wrote the text. And on the back side of this page is the English version of the book of Ruth. It's a reminder that there are people who who don't know Christ, who don't know Jesus, who still recognize God's faithful covenant love when they read of it in the Scriptures. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with knowing that that God would draw people to himself? And one of the ways he does that is to help them recognize the beauty of faithful, covenant, committed, loyal love. I wonder what it might have been about the family of Naomi and Elimelech that caused Ruth to begin to see. There is this God that I have heard about, but I have never known. 
There is this God who doesn't require child sacrifice like my God, Molech, does. There is this God who says, your life isn't over when your sex life ends. But my gods, Baal and Ashtarah, their whole existence and work in the world depends on having sex every time it rains. That's what the rain is (laughs) in our mythology. There is a God whose promises of life and love aren't tied to those kinds of things. I want to know that God. And so God shows common grace to people who don't yet know him through his son, Jesus Christ. He shows saving grace by drawing people to himself, by inviting people to repentance. Luke uses this verb visit one more time when he's summarizing what Jesus said as he drew near to Israel, I mean to to Jerusalem in the last week of his life, Jesus wept, he grieved, he mourned, he cried. And he said, I wish you had known today the things that would bring you peace. But instead, you're going to know warfare. The days will come upon you when your enemies set up a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. God is the God who visits. He draws near with the offer of life and love. He draws near with the offer of peace instead of warfare. He draws near with the offer of life instead of death and love instead of distance and separation from him. And he offers it even to people who reject and crucify his own son. Jesus is weeping over the fate of those who are going to murder him. Because God doesn't run away from those who hate him. He stays close. And he keeps offering life and love even to the people who have not yet embraced it or accepted it. What would it look like for you and me to reflect that kind of love? Well, let's love our fellow Christians in times of need. Do you know a widow like Naomi? Do you know somebody who's experiencing that kind of hopelessness, sorrow, deep need financially, spiritually, relationally, every other way? Show Reflect God's faithful love for them. Do you know non-Christians who are enduring a lot of uncertainty and pain? Could you deal kindly with them? And could you ask God to deal kindly with them? He's that kind of God. May the Lord deal kindly with those who don't yet know him. How can we share a testimony to the work of Christ that welcomes and invites people into his family? Ruth was drawn into this family with Naomi. 
there came a moment when her faith was stronger than her mother-in-law's. Can we reflect that kind of faithful love to people in need, whether they are our fellow believers in Christ or not? One more thing we need to know about this God. He satisfies the demands of death and distance when we reject his life and the love that he offers. This is reflected in something that Ruth says. She says in verse 17, Hey, Naomi, I'm not making you a short-term promise. I'm not saying I'll pretend your God is my God. I'll pretend your people are my people for a few years until you die because you're kind of old. And then once you pass away, I'll pull up roots and go back to my native land. Back to Moab, back to my people. She says, no, where you die, I will die, and that is where I will be buried. This love is not going to be broken by death. And then she says, may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She's alluding to the kind of ceremony that was gone through when covenant relationships were formed in ancient Israel. And it's like she's making this gesture. May the Lord do this to me. Because that's what you would say in the covenant ceremony after the animal had been slaughtered. Because you, you took the life of an animal to show if I break this relationship, it will bring pain. It will bring death. It will bring distance and sorrow. And I am so committed that I am not going to go away. And if I do, may this happen to me. There's a reflection of this in a painting by another Jewish artist. His name is Mark Chagall. He's from Belarus. He painted this in 1960. It's, it's a picture of Naomi and her two daughters. Uh, he doesn't ever label which one is Ruth and which one is Naomi. As far as I can tell, he never gave a definitive answer. People have their theories as to which is which. There's a detail in the bottom of the painting that I think provides us a clue. It's a lamb. There's no lamb mentioned anywhere in the story. As you read through, Luke, uh, through the book of Ruth... It's about farming barley. It's not about raising sheep. There are no shepherds in the story. The only hint at a lamb anywhere in this story is in what Ruth says, may the Lord do so to me. This lamb is standing at the feet of the daughter-in-law on the left. I'm inclined to think that that's Ruth. In fact, artistically, you can't it's harder to make out the separation between Ruth and Naomi than, than this daughter-in-law on the right. Naomi's in the center. Ruth and Naomi are one. What should happen if that oneness is broken? God is the kind of God who will satisfy the demands of death and distance. The lamb is slaughtered. The lamb is slain 
as a way of showing how serious we are about the relationship we're committing to. God is that kind of God. When we reject his life and love, he sends someone else to experience death and distance in our place. That's the kind of commitment Ruth is making, right? May I experience death and distance if I betray this covenant love for you. Because that is the kind of love that God our Father shows for his people. He shows it in the person of Christ. When did all of this happen? It happened in the days when the judges were ruling. Nobody was being faithful to God's covenant of life and love. Well, a few people here and there. How does the story end? Well, it ends with Jesse fathering David. Was David faithful to God's covenant of life and love? Well, sometimes. Until he decided to commit adultery and murder all in the same act. There is nobody who would be faithful to God's covenant of life and love in the way that God requires until he sends a lamb, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, to suffer death and distance in our place. That's what God is like. That's the answer to the question. Is there a kind of love between one person and another so faithful, so committed, so strong and deep that nothing can break it? The answer is yes. And the response is awe. And the result is a new kind of strength to love God with all that we are and a new kind of strength to love people. May God deal kindly with you because of Christ and through you to others in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes in the scriptures the lamb is a hidden detail that doesn't stand out. Abraham goes to the top of a mountain and he thinks that he will have to take the life of his son, but there is a, a ram, a male lamb caught in the bushes, hidden. But as the scriptures unfold, the lamb comes into view more clearly. And we see that you would rather die than live without us. And we are overwhelmed by your love. And we pray that it would make us more faithful to love hurting people than we've ever been before. More faithful to love people who share our faith. More, people, more faithful to love people who don't. 
not because we're heroes, not because we're motivated by guilt, not because we're good at being like our sister or our brother, but because you are good. And Christ is all the proof we ever need of that, we pray in his name. Amen.